0: Good morning. Uh, it is a privilege to be here uh, with you guys i'm going to be here uh four times over the next two months. So one of the things I thought we'd do is we would do a bit of a series. Um, I know that you guys have been having guests come in, and so there's you know you've been jumping around different places, so I thought it might be a nice change for us to spend a little bit of time in one place in god 's word and so I hope it's as encouraging to you uh, as it was. To me this week preparing it. I, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what your week has been like. Uh, I can be honest with you and tell you I've had a week that I don't want to repeat. I'm sure you've had those kind of weeks uh, where you have a week and you think, you know, very grateful that it's a three-day weekend, very grateful even more that that means it's a short week next week. Uh, and as I was preparing this sermon, there was this moment where I was I was typing out something that I was going to say and I'd found a moment away, uh, quiet in my office, and I was writing that, that Ruth, we're going to be in the book of Ruth, but I was writing that Ruth is unable to see God at work because of the clouds of her circumstances. And I thought, dang it, Jesus, you're saying that to me, right? And, and I, I don't know if you've ever felt like that as you've read the Bible or as you're studying God's Word, um, But it is this moment of of encouragement to know that God is at work through His Word, no matter what we think is going on in our week, right? And there's always things for us to look at and be encouraged. So if you will, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me. Uh, We're going to look at Ruth chapter 1. In the weeks to come, I'm going to have a special guest come and read the chapters for us. Okay, but today you'll have to deal... Uh, with me reading the chapter. So we're looking at Ruth chapter 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 22. Uh, and God's word says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went on a sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Verse 4, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. Then Naomi rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from a place where she was with her two daughters-in-law's. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, No, We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may become their husbands or they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I would say I have hope, even if I could have a husband tonight and could bear sons, Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Uh, Verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth said, or Naomi said, See, your daughter in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return or to turn from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, or more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirring because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara." Uh, let's pray as we uh, look into God's Word and see what He has for us this morning. Father, I pray that you would grant us uh, open hearts. Father, I know all of us have things going on in our life. We, uh, we just came through uh, what we were all very much worried about was going to be a major storm. Uh, Father, you, you have, have seen us through that uh, in your kindness, Father, some of us are facing storms in our own life. Uh, Father, all of us have come here for a moment uh, to pause our life to hear from you and to hear from your word. And so, Father, I just pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that the scales might fall off, that we might be reminded of your great love for us through your word. Father, you are at work even when we don't see you. And so, Father, we pray now Uh, We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one you sent for us. Amen. Uh, So some of you may not know me. My name is Jason Shiver. Currently, I live over in Orlando. I serve as the headmaster of a private Christian school there. Uh, But there are many familiar faces to me in this room uh, from my time at Covenant, where I was the director of student ministries. And so I'm so grateful uh, to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Verse 1 in Ruth gives us a a very defined historical context for the book that we're in. Verse 1 says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. If you spent much time in the Bible, you know that famines are great acts of God. And God's people almost never thought of them as just sort of coincidental. They often viewed a famine as God's judgment upon them. And so a famine was a huge deal. But even more so, we get another description of the context we're in when it says that this was the days of the judges. So how many of you guys, well don't raise your hand, it might have been a little hard to find the book of Ruth, right? It's a smaller book. It's only four chapters, right? Where is Ruth found? It's found right after the book of Judges and right before first and second Samuel, which is gonna be the life of King David. Most of us know a little bit about the life of King David. We maybe haven't spent much time looking at Judges, but you may remember some of their names. Samson would have been a judge during this time. But the time of Judges was the time in between when uh, God's people had stopped wandering in the wilderness. They had entered into the promised land But it's sort of this gap in between that time of them coming in the promised land to one day when there would be a king in Israel and Israel would be a nation like the other nations around them. So there's this gap of time that we call the time of the judges. And there was this really vicious cycle that Israel would go through. And so it's a very dark time. Uh, What would happen is the people would turn away from God. God would allow their enemies to come against them. The Israelites would then, after a time of, of living under this torment, they would cry out for help from God. God would raise up a judge. Now, many times we think of a judge as like in a courtroom. Um, these judges would have been military slash political leaders. So we think of some, some countries that we've seen in recent years that have had had coups. I can remember uh, one of my friends is from Venezuela, and they had had an election, and they had had a president um, Elected, and and so I told my friend, I said, You know, isn't this great news that you've had this president elected that you want elected? And he said, Well, it really doesn't matter, it it depends on who the military backs. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm used to the way our elections work, right? And this sort of peaceful, at least as much as can be, peaceful exchange uh, of power. Sorry, that was not meant to be a joke, but it was. (laughs) Um, But But so these judges were military leaders. So God would raise up these military leaders, and they would deliver God's people. And so there would be a time of peace, but very soon God's people would rebel again. And so you just had this vicious cycle. And at the end of the book of Judges, uh, we get a verse that tells us that all men did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. And this is the time that the book of Ruth takes place. So why does God give us this story in the midst of one of the darkest times in Israel's history? Well, I think it is sort of this pulling back of the curtain that we can see God is at work even in the most difficult of times. That sometimes God work, God's work and his plan may be hidden from us. So in verse 2 through 5, we're introduced to Ruth's family. She has a wonderful husband. She has two sons. Okay, her family has actually found food, albeit in a foreign land, but they found food during this time of famine. And I think that we're meant to be reminded of the great famine that we hear about at the end of Genesis, when God's people would go to Egypt and they would also find provision for themselves there in Egypt. But very quickly, by the end of verse 5, we found out that Naomi has had everything taken away from her, right? She has lost her sons. She has lost her husband. And so that leads me to my first real observation for us this morning, that God's work is often hidden from us because of our circumstances. You know, life comes at us in all different ways, and it is not for the faint of heart. Shakespeare would say it like this in King Lear. He would say, men must endure their going hence, and it does not take long of you living life for life to feel like an endurance test. So we ask, is God at work? How can he be at work when all of the circumstances seem to be against us? Well, the theological term here is providence. Okay? And so these, all four of these chapters, we're gonna try to kind of spell out this idea of providence. But this is what, Paul is getting at in the New Testament when in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Any of you guys who know me know that I have a problem at time with what I call bumper sticker verses. This is one of those bumper sticker verses that sometimes we put on our mirror and we just isolate it and we put it there and we act like that this is a verse that tells us that, um, well, let me back up. I don't think we intend to do this, but we can use this verse to say God is indebted to us as his people to make only good things happen in my life, right? I think that is fair to say. And, And I don't think we intend to do that, but we can use this verse to do that. But I want to draw your attention to the very last part of this verse, where it says, for those who are called according to his purposes, right? And that makes a huge difference in this verse. And so we're going to see how Ruth, how the book of Ruth unpacks that. Um, John Piper explains providence like this, and I appreciated this explanation. He says, the word providence is striking. It comes from the word to provide, which really is two parts, one pro, which in the Latin would mean forward or on behalf of, and the word vide, which means to see. So you may think, that provide would just simply mean to see forward or to foresee. But it's actually more than that, Piper tells us. It is to supply what is needed. It is the fact that God is going before us, working things so that everything that is needed is there. So let me draw your attention to another Old Testament story. So you remember the story of Abraham taking Isaac to be sacrificed. It's not just that God foresees that Event about happening, that about to happen. That's not providence. What providence is, is the lamb that God provides stuck in the bush so that there is a sacrifice on Abraham's behalf to God. Isn't it crazy? In that story, God provides his own sacrifice. Um, Abraham's walking up a mountain with his son. God has told him that he's going to sacrifice his son. And Abraham does it with full confidence. And every time Isaac looks up at his dad and says, Dad, what are we doing? We don't have anything to sacrifice. Do you remember Abraham's response? The Lord will provide, right? And eventually Abraham gets up there. He shows himself to be faithful. He looks and God calls him to sacrifice this lamb that has been caught uh, in the bush instead of his own son. That is providence. It's not just that God foresees, it is that God is providing. So what we could say in brief is that God's care for all things is providence, and that would be true. But in the human experience, providence means that God's hand is often hidden in the ordinary affairs of our day-to-day life. Now, what I hope is over our next bit of time together, that that becomes a very comforting thing to you. Uh, I can remember reading uh, the Westminster Confession when I was in seminary, and one of the things that it says is, is how does God care for his people? And I'm paraphrasing a bit, but the answer to that question in the Westminster Confession is that God often cares for his people through ordinary means. And I think that's an incredible thought for us to really take hold of. That, you know, as we walk through our day-to-day life, we... While God is performing miracles, God is at work, a lot of times it just feels ordinary to us, and it's so hard to see him uh, as we go through that time. So what we get in the book of Ruth is we don't get a list of theological uh, propositions on the idea of providence, but conversely, we actually get um, more of a painting. We read about the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and eventually Boaz, who's going to show up in chapter two. Uh, just to give you a little preview of coming attractions. And we see this painting, though, it's coming to life before our eyes. And the subject matter is an ordinary family living an ordinary life in an ordinary time or in an ordinary town, but in a very dark time, in a time where hope seems all but lost. Lack of food, lack of uh, Naomi having the lack of a husband to care for her. Naomi losing her two sons, who typically uh, through Israel culture would have cared for their widow mother. Now she's lost both of her sons. She has no way to provide for her. And yet God, God is at work. So two quick observations that I think are helpful to us. One is God's providence is hard to see in the moment. Okay, can, can you feel that? You know, like... Um, I, I need you to call me at times. I need to leave. I should, next time when the projector's working, I'll just put my cell phone up and periodically you guys can text me to encourage me and just say, you know, God's providence is, is often hidden. <laughs> right? Because we all need to hear that. We all need to be reminded of that. And the second thing as we look at this is just more of a warning. I think one is that this idea of God at work, even in the darkest circumstances um, if we are counseling someone who's going through a difficult time, don't use this <laughs> in the midst of it, okay? Don't say, you know, God's hand is in this. I can see what's going to happen, right? Because it is hard to see it when you're going through it. And oftentimes it can, it can feel a little uh, defeating to that person who's going through a difficult time for us to say that right then. Uh, we may want to wait. We may want to just bear under that burden with them and walk through that with them. And then maybe as God continues to reveal his story, come back later on and say, hey, let's, let, let's um, be mindful of some of the ways that God cared for us through this. But just a reminder that it can be hard to mention that at those times. So God's work is often hidden, but God's work is also for the outsider. So the second thing we see is that God's work is for the outsider. One of the most interesting parts of the story is that we have Naomi's husbands marry two Moabite women, Okay, uh, that would not have been typical in Israel. That have been, would have been frowned upon in Israel. That would have been a big deal. Uh, these are foreign wives. Uh, if you don't know the connection, the Moabites, we actually know of their origin. Uh, Genesis chapter 19, you can read that story. There are kids in the room. I'll let you read that story for yourself. But Genesis 19 tells the story of Lot, and we see um, a sinful act that actually sort of um, spawns this group of people that we would hear about later on. Um, While it's not forbidden for Naomi's sons to marry Moabite women, it definitely was against uh, their cultural norms. So in verse 8 through 14, Naomi begins to plead with her daughters-in-law to to turn back because she says, there's no future with me. And she actually says some pretty harsh things here. Um, She talks about, are you going to wait around for me to have other sons and one day you'll marry those sons? I mean, you can sense Naomi is actually saying many of these harsh things out of just her care for these two women. And she even says to them, go back and find kindness. As you've shown my husbands or as you've shown my sons and myself kindness, Um, you go pursue your own life. I'm freeing you up to go. You don't have to stay to care for me. And so in this emotional scene, we see one goodbye, but then we see one of, I think, one of the most beautiful pictures of covenantal love that we find in all of Scripture. And we don't have a lot of time, but I want to read that for you. Uh, verse 15, it says, And she, Naomi, said to Ruth, she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And here is that beautiful Covenantal love that we see from Ruth. And Ruth sort of steps forward now, center stage of this story. But here's what she says. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you go or where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried May the Lord do so to me and more. If anything but death separates me from you. Do you hear what Naomi's saying? Naomi doesn't say, now notice this, Naomi does not say, or sorry, Ruth does not say to Naomi. She does not say, Naomi, I'm gonna stay with you and make sure you're cared for. And then when you die, I'll pursue my own life. Did you notice that? She says, where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. And so what we see here is we see that Ruth has tied herself to this family. And and my question is this, why does Ruth feel so strongly and so confident that she can say, you know, this family is my people? You know, I'm, I'm turning away from my family, from my heritage, from my tradition, And I'm going to bind myself to these people. So here's where I think it's really important for us to understand family history. Naomi was married to Elimelech. Elimelech's father was a man named Salmon. Salmon would have been born during the time that Israel was wandering in the wilderness. Salmon would have eaten the manna that God provided when the Israelites did not have hunger. So now notice... Here's, here's Ruth and Naomi's story right here, but we're kind of jumping back in time to um, their grandfather or, or the father of her husband's story, right? This is a family story. So he's wandering in the wilderness with the other Israelites, and eventually the Israelites come to go into God's promised land. And the Jewish tradition tells us that Salmon was actually one of the two spies that they sent into Jericho. Okay? Now, that's Jewish tradition. We don't know. But what we do know from Matthew is this. Salmon marries the hero of that story, another outsider named Rahab, the one who hides the spies. And so that is the parents of this family. And I wonder... If Ruth had heard those stories and she had heard about this outsider named Rahab who had been brought into God's family and who had been made part of God's people and had had committed herself to following her husband, Salmon, and that they had bore a son and that this was now the story of his son, one of my encouragements here is I, I think we should tell our children the story of our families, of God's faithfulness. To our families. You know, it's it's something that I don't think we do enough of. But I think as a family, we should recall the times that God has been faithful to us. We should pass those down from generation to generation. But the second thing is that God's uh, gospel has always included the outsider, right? Who did Jesus say that he came to save? He came to save those who were lost. He came to save those who were marginalized, either by their own sin, okay? Some of them ethnically were marginalized, some of them were marginalized because of of a disease that they were carrying. Like we see over and over that Jesus sees the outsider, and Jesus goes to the outsider, that they might be brought in, and that is no more evident than in this story. So the last point, God's work is always full of love and kindness, even when we can't see it. While we find Naomi focused on all that is wrong in her life, If she would just look up, there is light starting to break through those clouds. Verse 19, we see her return back home. And we hear that the the, the people are excited. They're stirred up. They're wondering, is this Naomi? Naomi's back. They're so excited because Naomi is back. But Naomi says this. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And so Naomi's name would have meant uh, pleasant or sweet. Okay and she she changes her name and she asks him to call her Mara and it means bitter. Naomi goes on to explain the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi feels like she has been completely consumed by her efforts to follow God and that God has not shown up for her. He is not in some ways maybe she might say God has not fulfilled his part of the bargain. But if Naomi would just look, the night is giving way to dawn. Naomi, you're no longer in a wilderness. You're now home. You're no longer hungry. Verse 22 tells us that she has come back at the time of the barley harvest, which we're going to hear about uh, next time we're together in chapter 2. And Naomi, you are not alone. You have Ruth. And Ruth will give you a grandson. And he will hear the stories of God's divine providence in your family's life. And he will give you a great-grandson. And he will hear the stories of God's divine providence in your life. And he will be the greatest king that Israel will ever know. And he will defeat Israel's great enemy. And he, Naomi, will give you a royal bloodline one whose descendant will one day be born back in your hometown of Bethlehem. And upon him, the nations will hope and he on the cross will defeat our greatest enemy of sin and death. I wonder what Naomi would say if she had known God's great providence of the story he was telling in this very, very ordinary family. Let's pray. Father... Father, will you give us eyes to see you at work? Father, I pray for each one of us that as we come to your scripture, that we would see that you are a God who intervenes into the lives of your people. You are a God who intervenes in history. Father, in Genesis 1, we are told that you stepped into chaos and you began to, to bring order to that chaos. And so, Father, even in Genesis 1, we see the foundation of the good news that we serve a God who is for the outsider. We serve a God who longs to draw his people to himself. Father, in the New Testament, we'll go on to say that we have been adopted and that we are now heirs of of all that Christ has won on the cross. Father, thank you so much Uh, that you have brought in the outsider, from Rahab to Ruth to us. Father, your gospel is one uh, that invites us in. It invites us into relationship with you. Thank you so much for that. And we pray uh, these things in the name of the one, the one who is the great descendant of Ruth, who is the great descendant of Naomi, who is the great descendant of Rahab and Salmon. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.